You're listening to Looking the Part. This is episode two, sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, new members get their first month of executive razor and a tube of their Dr. Carver shave butter for only $5 with free shipping. That's a $15 value for only five bucks. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com slash cracked. Join Dollar Shave Club to change the way you shave. Hello, uh, millions, let's say. I'm assuming yeah. millions. Welcome to the second episode of Looking the Part, the series that believes the physical characteristics of your favorite fictional characters can communicate everything about that character long before their actions. So, uh, in other words, every character in TV or film can be a walking spoiler if you just know where to look. Okay, so the goal of this miniseries is to hopefully change the way that you watch movies and turn all of you into, like, Sherlock Holmes of cinema, I guess. This is all sponsored by the Dollar Shave Club, which <laughs> you'll get a, lot, a big earful about a little later. <laughs> Today we're talking about how you can tell uh, the type of character you're dealing with by what they wear, both their clothing and then also what they wear permanently on their body, like tattoos or scars. I'm joined today by the head of video at Cracked, Daniel, you can call me Dan, but I prefer you didn't, O'Brien. Woo, that's me. And an expert in this field this time, uh, Jenna Wright is with us. Jenna is a costume designer for movies like Peepers, The Shorts, Clear Blue, and of course, The Girlfriend Game, which is starring a friend of Cracked, Jeff Ward. Yay, great, hi. Hi, Jenna. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. This sounds very fun. So I want to start today with Scars. Because I'm I'm always interested in the placement of scars and like how they look and what that denotes about a character. And I discovered some really fascinating stuff as I was doing this. So that feels like the, a good place to start. Do you guys know who Plutarch is? I mean, Plutarch? I do, but I, I think you should you should just like quickly, briefly just describe it for the people who are listening who who might not know. Okay, so Plutarch called them inscribed images of excellence and manly virtue. So oh, it was a good thing. Yeah, he thought that that scars demonstrated that that this was a life well-lived, mm-hmm. that this was a life where you fought hard and you got the things that you wanted because you're still here. Yeah. And, and things that you wanted presumably are just life. But, that explains there was a um, people in, I can't remember if it's medieval times or middle age, like like younger kids who wanted to seem tough. If they got a scratch, there was a trick you could do where you would take a piece of hair and put it in the wound so it would when it healed, look more like a scar from like getting sliced by a sword. Oh, than that's just, such like, a bad uh, idea. <laughs> that's so dangerous. <laughs> There's all kinds of gross stuff on your hair. Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair to the past, they didn't know any of that yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they uh, just wanted to look cool, man. <laughs> this is they scars show up a lot in literature too. It's a way of really identifying somebody. So like Odysseus, when he comes back. He dresses as an old man's because he's, he's planning to kill all these suitors of his wife. Yeah. And to find out if his wife was faithful, he's dressed. He doesn't let her know. He doesn't let her on the secret that he's still alive. And this uh, maid of hers washes his feet. And as she's doing it, she notices this scar on his knee that he got from a boar when he was a little boy. And like, that's how she knows. That's how she knows who he is. And that happens really frequently where someone's like some defect that happened along the way in their life is the. The only way you can identify him. Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow mm-hmm. has a tattoo of Sparrow, which is such a dumb thing for a pirate to have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to identify him. But I, I want to talk quickly just about how there are good guy scars and there are bad guy scars in movies. Uh, the way that I've sort of identified it is bad guy scars are more disfiguring. They, st- they tend to jut out a little bit. They have like mm-hmm. some extra flesh to them in a weird way. And 
they shift the face in some weird, strange way. Like, Blofeld is a good example where his eye is, like, drooped down with the scar. Yeah. Some other bad guy scars are Tom Berenger in Platoon. He's got a big, gross one. Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. Mason Verger in Hannibal, who's just a big human scar because yeah. Hannibal ate his face. Right. But somehow he's worse than Hannibal. He's so hard to look at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Joker is a very good example. Mm-hmm. Two-Face, also a good example. Now, the heroes tend to have scars on their faces that are much cleaner and just like a straight line. Yeah. Um, like Inigo Montoya. Exactly. That's a perfect example. That's the quintessential example because it doesn't like obstruct the skin at all. It's just a little bit lighter of a line in his face. Mm-hmm. Some other ones are yeah. Harry Potter has a really nice one. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, that lightning bolt should be like bulging off of his forehead. But instead, right. it's just like this cute little thing that yeah. sometimes when his hair blows in the wind, you're like, oh, what's that? Yeah. Inigo <laughs> yeah. uh, Montoya is great. Tyrion in the book slaughtered but in the mo- yeah. in the show you can't show somebody like that he's got to have just like a cool little scar right in the in the book even before he gets slashed in the face one of his eyes is discolored than the other one and his face is like lopsided and then when he gets slashed his nose comes off and he just looks like this gross half skeleton all the time but in the show he's got this like really charming sexy scar <laughs> yeah, it's really nice yeah it's like oh you know what you should keep that peter dinklage because that was good on you king leonidas in 300 has the one he gets from that giant uh that's just coming down his eye and over his cheek mm-hmm. and a uh, call drogo also has a really cool scar but that's i think they just add that to every character that that guy plays because he legitimately has that scar oh, okay <laughs> so there... there's another really cool scar in um but it's hidden, so I don't know if that's a different one. And also, I don't want to do spoilers here. So. Yeah, go ahead. I was thinking of that movie Split. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's Where a great the example. The person's, the girl's scars literally save her life. Oh yeah, that's right. So there's, there's, uh, the James McAvoy is is multiple personality, or this movie's interpretation of what multiple personality disorder <laughs> is, and one of his personalities is monster. And he destroys a lot of things that he thinks are beautiful. And he has like a a particular affinity for young, beautiful women. He's got these three girls trapped and they get increasingly more disrobed as the movie goes on. And two of them get killed. He eats them as they get like closer to underwear. And then finally our main girl, when she loses a shirt, he sees that she's covered in scars. And he's like you understand, like, like they're like body scars because she's yeah. been abused. And he's like, you understand evil, I think? Jen, am I getting that, that right? Like, what, like <laughs> you've so. seen something terrible? Yeah. yeah, he's basically like, oh, yeah, you understand, so therefore I don't need to eat you. I'm not going to eat you. That's, <laughs> that's perfect because I want to talk about body scars and what they mean in, in movies. Body scars are really common in your protagonist. And it's usually there's some reveal where, like, they'll take off a shirt and all of a sudden you see their back from behind a door. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be looking. And you'll see that they've got something some, some something hideous on them. And those can be bulging and those can be weird in a way that that you're not allowed to have on your face when you're a hero. And some good examples of body scars are the OA. If you guys have watched that series on Netflix, Jason Bourne has a really good one. Logan uh, in Logan. Certainly. Deadpool. I mean, he's sort of like, <laughs> he's, he's just one big, he's like Freddy Krueger. He's just one big scar. But Marvin Sin City, Brad Pitt and Fury. And then Denzel Washington in Glory, pretty much every movie about being a slave, you're going to have those marks on your yep. back. Now, that's there are two things that work there. One is that in movies, this works really well to show that you've got a character who's still running from something. That when you see scars on their back, it means that it's not like a scar on the face where it's like that was some finite existence that happened, this moment of violence, and now it's over. 
when somebody has scars on their back, that's always an indication that they're still struggling with something mm-hmm. and that they're still trying to get away from something. Now, obviously that is really apparent in any slave movie because that what a terrible thing. What it, right. that you get whipped in the back, it, it means that you were probably still a slave or you're still dealing with that. But I looked into the reason why they whipped them on the back, why in slavery it was so common. And obviously that's a fleshy area that can withstand a lot of beating. Mm-hmm. But they do it because culturally... We used to think of scars on the back as being scars of cowardice because it meant that you were running away. Right. And so instead of whipping them or hurting them on the front, they'd whip them on the back so that you always carried that with you, that it looked like you were a cowardice in the face of your duty. So this goes all the way back to Rome. There was a guy, uh, Lucius Aemilius Paulus, who mm-hmm. he won against the Macedonians. He was like a famous general, and he came back, and they were like basically writing the history books right there. And they're like, all right, we're going to acknowledge that this guy won against Macedonia. And there was another guy, Galba, who fought against that. And one of Paulus's generals said uh, he was a war hero and he spoke up in defense of Paulus and also like defense of himself and what they had done there. And he said, uh, listen to the decree of the Senate rather than the romancing of Galba. Listen to this that I am saying rather than to him. I have fought three and 20 times in answer to challenges. From all whom I encounter, I carried off the spoils. My body is covered with honorable scars. Everyone received in front. So it was a very, very big deal throughout history, and especially in war. I mean, even in ancient Greece, it was like, you don't come back. You either come back with your shield or on it. Right. Like, you don't run away. That's This is it's true. Feudal Japan, the samurai, like, there's all these cultures where if you get scars on your back, it's a sign of cowardice. And did, did Gobbo... Did that dipshit have a bunch of scars in his back? Nope. That, no, no, he didn't. Oh. No, and that's part of the reason this guy brought it up because he's like, this guy's only good at orating. That's the only thing he learned this entire time oh. at war. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the, that that translates into movies so so commonly is you still the scars that are revealed in the back. It always happens in a bathroom. Yeah. It's always or like in a bedroom where you're not supposed to be watching. You have the you're you have like the door in the frame so that yeah. you can see that you're just peeking in, and you there's this shy reveal. But it's sort of evolved now into meaning somebody has is running from their past. As right, you're carrying to, something. Yeah. Right. It doesn't always. It doesn't mean cowardice anymore, like it used to. But it does mean you're you're not done with whatever you you dealt with to get those scars. Yeah, I that's feel like Goodwill Hunting. I always think of that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great one. That's yeah. that's perfect. And like that's that's one that I was. Oh man, that's great because I had a point to make, but I didn't have an example for it. And Goodwill Hunting <laughs> fits that because I feel like. Body scar reveals are very frequently used in movies in a woman being more attracted to or bonding with a man moment. There's a whole lot mm-hmm. of like, yeah, I thought he was kind of a jerk, but then it looks like he got the shit whipped out of him at some point. So now I'm like, what's his story? Yes, there's that that trope of two people in an intimate moment and she starts tracing the outlines of his scars yeah. with her hands. and like, where did this come from? And like trying to open him up, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. What's that scene? There's like a horrible, I think it's Rene Russo and some guy, and they're comparing scars. They're both like... It's Lethal know, Weapon. It's Mel, Mel, Mel Gibson, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. going to be like, you know Twister? Uh, they've been through so many of those. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, Rene Russo and Mel Gibson. It's like a. Uh, they both have so many fucking scars, and they just like take turns mapping each other's bodies and talking about where they got their scars from. It's like a... But they have uh, to get... And they have to get undressed as they do it, so then they're left in their oh, underwear. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my uh, my body does not lend itself to that. I have. If there was a woman <laughs> tracing my scar, it would be one over my eyebrow. You're like, how'd you get that? I fainted in the shower and <laughs> slipped. <laughs> well, that would actually make a really great sketch. Is two people in modern times like talking about how they got all their scars? Oh, I was pulling a pizza out of an oven and just lifted my arm up too fast yeah. and got a little burn on the top of my forearm. I got a really bad uh, like scrape from a cardboard box. I didn't put neosporin on it, so now it's just. It's it's just it looks like a scar now. That happens a lot with scars in movies. I th- feel like that happens both in movies and in real life with tattoos as well. Yeah. That people go through that that should also be a history. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do want to talk about tattoos, but before we get into it, I just want to say that this podcast is of course sponsored by the Dollar Shave Club, as I'm sure you will know by now. Mm-hmm. Dollar Shave Club was nice enough to give us just this arsenal of stuff. They don't just make razors, they make a shave butter that's really amazing. I can't believe that we've been shaving with anything other than shave butter our whole lives. It seems crazy that immediately they went to yeah. shaving cream and they're like, and that's it. We're done with yeah. the technology. Are we just gonna are you gonna like mow right past the fact that you almost made an I can't believe it's not shave butter reference. Can we? <laughs> Let me try it. <laughs> I can't remember how Fabio sounds. I can't believe it's not. No, that's, that's almost my Arnold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have a whole arsenal of products now. They're more than just a, a shaving brand now. They've got a whole grooming kit. They've got an aftershave cream. They've got an amazing conditioner that, if I remember correctly, is a combination of sage and pepper. Wow. Is the scent. Yeah. It's really good. For a limited time, new members get a first month of the Executive Razor and a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. This offer is available exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash cracked. Join Dollar Shave Club now to change the way you shave. Uh, the site called The Art of Manliness, there's an article on there by Brett and Kate McKay that it's an essay called Men and Scars that I think is actually really great and hidden on the site that I had never heard of. But in it, they say... It all meant, they're talking about scars and what, what scars mean in culture and how it, it means basically that it is this map of, of what your, your accomplishments. Yeah. And at the end they say, it all makes me wonder if the popularity of tattoos in Western culture has at least a little something to do with there being a stand-in for the earning of spontaneous scars. Without battles and dangerous adventure to mark our skin with wounds showing where we've been and what we've done, we paint on symbols of what we'd like to have done and how we'd like to see ourselves. While scars used to identify us to others, now we use tattoos to identify ourselves to ourselves. And I think that that's yeah. really cool and something that we do very frequently in culture. I mean, for I think that the evolution was scars first, then tattoos sort of replaced scars, but still represented these moments. Like you get them when you're in you're in the Navy or you get them when you're a Marine yeah. and you get them when you're part like the tribes, Polynesian tribes tattoo up their bodies. And that is really interesting, especially now because we tend, like we said before, not to get hurt so much, especially in this like sanitized Western world. So maybe we're replacing our actual battle scars that we would have had years ago, however we were living, with this new society of like, these are my cool scars. Yeah, <laughs> it does seem like a shortcut to being interesting. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to offend anyone who has tattoos, but it does no, work. It, yeah, we still see it. I mean... That evolution happened where it went scars, and then it went scars that were part of tribalism. I mean, tattoos that were part of tribalism, and now just tattoos that that denote the same thing, but don't have the history behind them. Right. On the leftovers, Justin Throw, a very haunted and challenged man, doesn't have any scars on his back, but it's loaded with tattoos. It's just crazy with tattoos, his whole body. So, so, And it works for me. It short circuits my brain that I see the tattoos, and I'm like, oh, this guy's dealing with some heavy shit. He's, yeah. he's been through something. And that's, a, that's something that you'll notice in yourself. Anytime you see somebody with a full back tattoo in a movie, 
that's a sign that they're psychologically unstable. It's a weird trigger yeah. that I figured out as we were kind of talking about this beforehand, where you have Kevin Garvey, who's, there's no indication, they never talk about the tattoo, other than maybe there's a misspelling on it somewhere. Yeah. And he's just this guy who's haunted and can't get his mind in order. Yeah. Things keep going wrong in his brain. There's some other great examples. In Red Dragon, Ray Fiennes has uh, that entire dragon yeah. on his back. That's somebody who's clearly psychologically distressed. Robert De Niro in Cape Fear mm-hmm. uh, has that full, he has a huge back tattoo that's, I think it's got a knife on one side and maybe the Bible on the other. Yeah. And does he have <laughs> stuff tattooed on like his fingers as well? Is that, yeah, is well, that he's him? got yeah. tattoos all over his body. Yeah. yeah. That tattoo, the tattoos all over are on um, the knuckles that showed up in a lot of movies, right? So yeah. Blues Brothers that, and they're all parroting or they're all using, they're all paying homage to the original, which was Love and Hate, which appeared on Harry Powell's fingers in Night of the Hunter. Hmm. So a lot of them have just done the homage of, of love and hate yeah. on there. And then there's obviously Memento. Elwood. Yeah. Yeah, Memento's. Memento. Yeah, so people Use, who have... Those are useful tattoos, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Usually you can still get away. If you have ta- like a huge tattoo on you, you don't necessarily need to be suffering a mental disorder when you're in film. A lot of times what that's associated with is that it's a map, that it's somehow helping you. And mm-hmm. in that case, you can be anybody. You don't have to... It no longer, it no longer tells you who this character is. Memento is a great example. I mean, like Waterworld. Waterworld, yeah, the girl has a map on her back. That's absolutely right. And Prison Break, the guy's got his. Blind Spot, oh, yeah. that new show. Mm-hmm. Constantine's, all his all his tattoos are useful. So they all like, they're, they're tattoos that are there for a purpose as opposed to just, this is a sign of who this character is. Right. So those, those characters have like false flags associated with them that you can't really trust. But a big broad sweeping chest or back tattoo usually is a sign that there's some sort of psychological disorder and that travels back to scars as well that it it gives you the indication that physical wounds denote psychological ones and getting a tattoo is sort of a wound i mean it's it's not an easy process it hurts yeah i always on the subject of scars will always feel bad for the people behind star wars because you make a new hope and you've got your luke skywalker who's like perfect beautiful 70s pop star icon he's got his feathered hair and his like boyish face in between new hope and empire strikes back he got into some kind of i think it was a car accident yeah. where he like motorcycle yeah. car yeah. actually scarred his face it was a motorcycle accident i don't Thank know you. it was one of the two um, it, was like, it was a car accident which they're very quiet about what actually happened so yeah it's the 70s so something pretty below board i'd imagine <laughs> but he got an actual scar and they had to just like in empire strikes back a monster had to slash him to explain why Luke Skywalker had a scar from now on. But I imagine it was... So my, my husband's actually not convinced of that story, and he thinks that he just felt too fake compared to the very rugged Harrison Ford and got plastic surgery. <laughs> oh. oh, I thought you were going to say he just did it to himself in a masochistic way. That would still, be cool. that's even weirder that he would that's go and get plastic surgery to so get a cool. scar. That's such a great theory. I love that so much. <laughs> but I think that's why they rewrote the beginning, so he gets in that big fight with the... Um, I mean, the Tauntaun and the, the, the yeah yeah the whatever that yeah. snow beast is yeah they had to explain it away yeah, right now, this is scar. why Luke Skywalker has a scar for the rest of time because Mark Hamill does but it's still like if I'm Star Wars I'm just like fuck you're supposed to be my my pretty boy lead and now, and now now everyone's rugged great fine so I, I just want to so we we're all on the same page I want to go through a couple of like people who are well tattooed in movies mm-hmm. or tattoos that are very famous in movies you don't want me to change the subject again <laughs> no <that's, laughs> we can go back to scars fine. <laughs> So obviously, Kate Fear, George Clooney, and from *Dust Till Dawn*. If you have a tattoo that escapes out of out of your clothing, if you have your neck, your, yeah, if you have it in your clothing, you can usually be a good guy. But man, your antiheroes and usually your bad guys—they have to have tattoos that come creep up their necks or creep down onto their hands from below their shirts. Yeah. So yeah, George Clooney from *Dust Till Dawn*. 
Uh, Leonard Smalls in Raising Arizona in comparison to the tattoo that Nicolas Cage has in that movie. But I think Leonard says, Mama didn't love me. And then <laughs> and then Nicolas Cage's is just like a Woody Woodpecker or something like that. <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow obviously has a sparrow. Idiot. Girl with a dragon tattoo. That's somebody with a full body one that yeah. is a good indication that things have gone wrong for her. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey in Reign of Fire. Mm-hmm. That one, uh, I have a hard time marrying that one with my theories because that's a huge tattoo that covers his entire body of dragons yeah and we never get in any of his backstory he's just like a cool dude who kills dragons yeah so i guess that's I think that's matthew mcconaughey saying how about i'm covered in cool tattoos yeah. <laughs> that's true and then we talked about joker in the first one uh it was scars but in the most recent iteration of the joker joker is covered in tattoos instead yeah. so that's almost following the same evolution that we just talked about of yeah. like it does seem like a lesser version. The Joker that has a bunch of tattoos, we don't like as much as the one that had scars. Right. He didn't really, he doesn't feel like he earned it. Yeah. Because he doesn't get to ask, do you want to know how I got these scars? And it's like an intriguing story. Because it's like, you want to know how I got these tattoos? <laughs> I went down to a place and I gave them money and they put like yeah. a, like ha 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 on my belly. Because I'm the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wanted to remember this moment in my life. And so I got this dolphin on my ankle because I was in Cabo and I really liked being there. Put a gun on my wrist. Isn't that scary? <laughs> you scared of my spooky guns? <laughs> I, and forearms as well. Forearms, I feel like a good place for bad guys to have uh, tattoos. This yeah. isn't, this is way less fleshed out because forearms are something that they show up so infrequently. Like Death Eaters, I think, have it on their forearm. And then I can't, obviously can't marry that with any movie where there's a Holocaust survivor. Right. Because they're going to have a tattoo on their wrist that, that usually, they're usually not bad guys. No, no, Turns out in movies. (laughs) Okay, I want to jump quickly to clothing, but before we do that, I want to talk about Dollar Shave Club. I have to admit that when I was younger, and before I understood how much time, how time was valuable to Mm -hmm. me, was I would take razor heads that I bought at the store that didn't match my razor stick. And I would just take the razor and just shave it, like cup it in my fingers yeah. and shave that way. Sure. Uh, with the door shut, obviously, because I, I, it's too embarrassing for anyone to possibly see mm-hmm. that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that before. It no. Was, you always had the stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you that you don't ever have to do that. Yeah. If you didn't, then hey, good for you. I had a much worse situation growing up where I don't think I bought razors. They were just razors around from my dad and brothers. And so looking you got back, the... probably my mom. And I was like, this one will do right now. And I use this. But now I don't have to because the, the mailman shaves my face right off me. <laughs> so, yeah, if that's your scenario, if you're taking secondhand razors from mm-hmm. your family or you're cupping a tiny razor head that doesn't fit your the rest of your razor you don't have to do that anymore for a limited time new members at the dollar shave club get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of their dr carver shave butter for only five dollars with free shipping and to be clear even if you don't have some weird shaving snack like this is for everyone it's not just for people like me and soren because i don't think these problems are actually very relatable at all Uh, that's a $15 value for only 5 bucks, and after that, raises are just a few bucks a month. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com slash cracked. Join Dollar Shave Club now to change the way you shave. I want to move now to something that I hope you can help us with, Jenna, which is clothing, and how clothing plays a huge part in, in deciding what kind of character you're dealing with. Yeah, I'm trying to reinvent myself as like a bad boy, so if you could just tell me how to dress, that'd be real, real great. I'm trying to push my brand in a new, exciting, fresh direction. Yeah, let's say that Dan is a, a guy with a checkered past who rolls into town, mm-hmm. and he's going to go to... leather jacket on him, get on his dark, dark colors, you know, moody. <laughs> <laughs> a leather jacket? Is the collar popped on that? Collar pop, pop it. Mm-hmm. 
And what about, like, what, uh, I wear glasses. <laughs> is, is, that, is that okay? So, what if they're, like, the ones that when you're outside, you're they get they get squinting. sunglasses? <laughs> they get darker, like, sunglasses. And you can, then yeah, you... turn those to shades. Okay. Get some contacts. Put on some boots. My glasses are a little bit lopsided because one time I was walking out of my apartment and I was on the phone. I wasn't paying attention and I walked directly into a wall. Hey, it's that like make a me... star, you know? Okay, good. It makes me look more dangerous. Good. That's what I was thinking. Yes. So what is yeah. it? Do you, have a, do you have any sort of idea, Jenna, on why leather in general, obviously a shorthand for badass in film, leather jackets are really frequently worn, but also leather boots, I mean, uh, cowboy boots that are always leather. And women in, in like tight leather, they're oh, always cat badass. Suits, yeah. yeah, like there's it's there's just something about putting a cow on you that makes you a cool person. Yeah, I don't know what the history of that would be as to like specifically why. I guess it's just you look at like who would have been wearing a leather jacket versus a letterman jacket. So you've got a jock on one side and you have someone who'd potentially be riding a motorcycle on another side. So it's different kinds of activities that they would partake in that might lend themselves to different gangs or groups of people that are kind of maybe, you know, good or bad. Yeah. You see, like, good is light, bad is dark, like... That's a really good... That's probably the best reason. And also that there's, there's like, earthen tones to leather. You either yeah. get black or you get yeah. brown. But with a leatherman jacket, you think of that as the other side of the spectrum. That's always yeah. going to be two-tone and bright primary colors. Yeah. <laughs> and it always yeah. screams, I'm part of a team, versus... I'm I'm alone. I'm a, a loner, Dottie, a rebel. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I guess maybe it also would, would come from cowboys from a time when we were really romantic about the idea of a cowboy that they were, they are literally salt of the earth. That they came, they yeah. like sprouted out of the desert. Yeah. <laughs> and they are, they're not part of society. They exist on their own, but they exist with some sort of harmony with nature because that's how they get by. Yeah, that's really interesting. We probably have always prized that in our heroes, that they be more associated with the world than with humanity. But I wonder what that says about us, <laughs> that they're not part of the team. I guess they can never be blinded by mob mentality in that case. Right. What kind of characters would you put in really in really bright clothing? you got red, which can be, uh, it can be bright and fun, like our two characters, if we're talking about our lettermen and that kind of stuff. It can be like part of a group if you're using that as like a color to associate people with each other. But red can also just be kind of like a harlot or someone really sexy. Like if you slap red lipstick on somebody, they're no longer just a lawyer. They're a lawyer with like, she's the sexy lawyer or something. You know, it's the same thing as if she's going to have like red high heels on or a dash of red somewhere. Or for a guy, if you know, if you're thinking of a suit and you put a red there, this is a person who's like, there's flash involved, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it totally does. We've we've talked before about the science of the color red uh, on our site, mm -hmm. just what the color means to you. So gambling halls, gambling halls, casinos, I think is the, is, <laughs> is the modern term that we all use, right? Casinos, uh, casinos frequently use uh, red uh, as their color scheme yeah. because red also is associated a, with blood and like yeah. it's a color that we all we all know very very well probably from blood <laughs> that, yeah. that even yeah. civilization is like you have to be aware of this color because it's bad news but in the studies that they've done they found that people who looking at the color red makes you more impulsive and makes you more determined mm -hmm. which is a really interesting phenomenon that a color can do that to you but that's, that's yeah part. there's that, that you know that green color that's in hospital walls it's like that kind of mossy green that's been proven to lower your heart rate. So it's a calming green. So colors wow. can really affect you in different ways. So yeah, red yeah. gets you. That, it's great for the gambling halls. 
those cool colors. Straight for the gambling halls. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yellow makes you eat more, too, so don't paint your kitchen yellow. I right. don't know. Well, that's something that I totally agree with it, but there's one aspect that, that bucks this trend a little bit, that like almost every single fast food chain is red and yellow in their logo, whether it's Carl's Jr., Hardee's, Jack in the Box, Burger King, McDonald's. Uh, in and out in and out They are red and yellow, which is impulse and eat. But there you go. the weirdest thing for me is that the only fast food chain to make me stop and like that will like change my day is if I pass a Taco Bell, which doesn't use those colors. It's purple and they use yellow though. Do they use yellow? yellow. Yeah, purple okay. and yellow, I think. Okay. But purple, yeah. yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just uh, the strength of the Taco Bell brand. <laughs> I don't know why it's not occurring to me until Jenna said it, but but the the fact that the color the color that a person wears would have the same obviously psychological effect that the colors in general have on you. That what she was saying about the color green that that slows your heartbeat. Those cool colors. The color blue makes you much more calm. There's a bridge in Japan that a bunch of people were committing suicide off of, Mm -hmm. and they just lined the streets there with blue lights, and suicide rates dropped considerably because you were no longer, you never longer felt as impulsive and like you wanted to make this decision immediately. But yeah, they've also done studies on women wearing dresses, uh, women wearing red dresses and then kind of cool tone or earth colored dresses. And without fail the men all thought the woman in the red dress was more attractive even though usually it was the same woman um so yeah. that is really like a baby the same thing they take a baby the exact same baby dress it in pink dress it in blue people will completely react different to it different voices different rough housing of the baby if they think it's a boy versus a girl i don't want to give away too much of your life here jenna but are you going to do any <laughs> gender type things for your for your daughter are you going to try and instill some uh, <laughs> well, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. I convinced my husband that we didn't need to know until she was born. And so we didn't prepare any specific boy or girly things. Are you going to pull pranks on people where you like you dress it in blue colors and then they roughhouse with like it's a boy? And then you're like, ha ha, you just shook a girl, you loser. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Red for one second, have you guys taken or seen any of the new Handmaid's Tale? I know it's not a movie, but... Yes. Um, yeah, I've watched every episode of it. Yeah, I haven't seen the latest, so don't give anything away. But that's a real, you know, they've turned the whole world into color coding specifically who people are by what they're wearing. So the red is the handmaids. The brown are the Marthas, who are the boring kind of like cooks and cleaners. And then the the nice kind of bluey green color is for the, I guess, the upper class women or like the the society ladies. Yeah, that checks out. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it until now. I have a sudden desperate need. I went to uh, Chili Beans over the weekend to buy sunglasses. It was my first time in that store. At I think time- you're just, um, are you repped by like Taco Bell, Chili Beans? <laughs> yeah, Taco Bell, Chili Beans, that's what this podcast is all yeah. about. But Chili Beans, I went to buy sunglasses, and the way they work there, they come up to you and like, here's how, how things go. You look at the price tag, and it's just going to show you a color, and that corresponds. There's like five different colors associated with each pair of sunglasses that corresponds to a certain price point, and now I want to go back and see if they were trying to hack me with their colors. Like, like I was just Ooh. like, oh, you're just doing like some hipster nonsense that separates you. Your your whole vibe is we do things differently here. But maybe they're trying to trick you. Maybe the most expensive ones are the ones that that denote impulsiveness. Mm-hmm. And I've, yep. I've I've been I did buy two pairs of sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting, and I hadn't even thought about the how important color is to a character. We do know there's a theory with The Shining that in The Shining, the clothing that the family, the Torrance family wears at the beginning are very American colors. They wear red, white, and blue very frequently. You can go back and look at especially Danny. But as time goes by and things start getting crazier and crazier in the hotel, both Danny and his mother move to 
their clothing becomes much more like Native American clothing. Like it becomes much browner. It has the the style of it and the designs on it all become much more Native American. Like this weird superficial way of denoting that they're cutting closer to some higher understanding as opposed mm-hmm. to Jack who doesn't change at all. He just stays in yeah. like those the awful tone or the the brighter tones. And that's always been really fascinating to me, I think, that you can do that to a character, that you can make a character just by showing them in a different color outfit or a different color palette. It changes the yeah. way that you think about that person immediately. It's part of their story. Like, it's their trajectory. Like, you start off one way, you want to see the changes. Like, this character, for example, got became really scarred by the end. This character became, like, very dirty or disheveled. And that's something in wardrobe that you have to take note of very carefully because oftentimes if that's the case, like if you're shooting over a long period of time or something takes place over a longer period or even a day that there's a lot of action, you've got to have many, many multiples of things so that you can distress them. And knowing you might not be shooting in order, but this person has already gone through uh, walking through a desert, so they're very dusty and dirty and beat up by the end, but you have to have you know, multiples of those things and to be really careful about how dirty does this character get versus this character and like how torn up would this person get and what part of their body does that really then reveal because you can't have certain people be too sexy or too too open, you know? It's, you have to take all those things into consideration, I guess, when you're... I, I'm moving into distressing more, I guess, rather than color scheme, but it's the same story that you're telling with, you know, over time, what do people wear? Like if they're losing their mind, are they becoming more more disheveled and maybe they started off really clean and tight because every character is going to have an art well every main character is going to have an arc and i'm sure that you have to account for that when you're doing the costume mm-hmm. you you, yeah, you, have, you have a sandra d in every story mm-hmm. who like has yeah, to go <laughs> from one outfit to a completely different one well that's really fascinating so like if you were going to do a serial killer or somebody who was like mm-hmm. dabbling in serial killing what would you start with <laughs> what is the difference between a serial killer and someone who's dabbling? Well, I want them to like I want them at the beginning of their career. Okay. Like Amer- American Psycho does a really interesting job of like a serial killer, but basically by making him what society has said is the most desirable look for a man, you know? Like he's very meticulous, put together, his suit is amazing, his hair is crisp, which is an interesting thing to say about society is like, oh, if you're really put together, you're actually a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hannibal Lecter is similarly very precise and, and put together as well. He's not like, gun to your head, draw a sexy man right now, the way that Christian Bale was of that time. Yeah. But but certainly like the Hannibal TV show, especially when he's when he's younger, he's he's like a very precise, well-maintained, handsome uh, mm-hmm. monster. I'm trying to think of other serial killers. I mean, you look at Taxi Driver, that's an interesting, very iconic look that they go to for him, and that includes hair, definitely. Yeah. And you see the transition there. Yeah, that's a good argument for the opposite side. I feel like people who are much yeah. more premeditated in what they're doing, like um, assassins, for instance, assa- mm-hmm. you never see uh, an assassin who's just like wearing sweatpants. Like right. assassins no. have a uniform and it's a suit. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing you're allowed to wear as an assassin in a movie. And we also have good assassins and bad assassins. Like James Bond would be a good assassin, kind of, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he licensed yeah. to kill. <laughs> but now name some bad assassins. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, to tie us all, all up at the end here, there's a couple that I'm very curious about and that I want to ask you about, Jenna, because I don't mm. I don't know why it works. But eye patches, always going to be a bad guy. Yep. I have no idea why, though. Is it just because you're obscuring the eye? Well, it goes down to what you were talking about before, about people who are scarred. Like, the bad guy would be the one that was scarred in a way that is disfiguring and less attractive. And so... The, that you're not going to walk around the modern day with, like, a big eye patch. But also, it's pirates, you know? Pirates had the eye patch. They were bad guys. 
That's true. Yeah. And then also the hat. The hat if the hat can tell you so much about a character, like a a well-worn baseball cap that's got the brim perfectly arced and yeah. everything. That's going to be somebody who you like in the story immediately. That's somebody who you're yeah. going to like. He's got it pulled low, but that's a sign of like loyalty. It's a sign of somebody who's down to earth. Tom Cruise does that a lot in the beginning of his lot of a lot of his movies. He might yeah. even have like a writer yeah. for it because War of the Worlds, he does that. Oblivion, he does that. Obli- There's no reason for him to do it in Oblivion. He lives yeah. in the distant future and he keeps coming to earth and being like, and here's my Yankees cap. We don't have <laughs> baseball anymore, Tom. <laughs> but it really does link him with America. You know, baseball, baseball's like America's favorite pastime, I think. And that worn in one, you know, you don't, you get that arch by like holding it a lot and molding it to your particular shape and it's worn a lot and it's your favorite one and it's, you know, it's got your sweat and yeah. blood in it, I guess, or no, maybe just your sweat. Oh, um, lots of blood. <laughs> lots of blood in the baseball hat. But uh, that's a real, that's a, I'd say that's a real American thing. Meanwhile, those hats that are just like the visor part of the hat and your hair sticks out the top, I don't think we will ever get a hero <laughs> in that. I think that is like firmly in douchebag territory forever i think jamie kennedy really tried to force it for a little while and we said no and now where's he you know but like your dad would have a baseball cap your grandpa would have a worn baseball cap your son you know you know you want to go play catch in the yard it does reek of tradition yeah Yeah. that you have yeah and also like cruz having it in outer space in a time when we don't even have baseball anymore it's still linking him to nostalgia i guess or good guy yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to start wearing a baseball cap. And maybe it's also in Ron Howard's writer that his characters have to wear baseball <laughs> <laughs> They have to look like me. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. And then just to put a, a bookend on this conversation about clothing, I want to go back to the color palette of the hat, especially in, the, in Westerns. You have the good guy's always going to wear a white hat. The bad guy's always going to wear a black hat. I mean, that's obviously changed over time with mm-hmm. Tombstone. But I think maybe part of the reason that, especially in Westerns, that the, the good guy wears white is that it gives him this feeling of being untouchable. Mm-hmm. That yeah. when when it's not dirty, when it's not dusty, and he's out there in the wild, and he it, none of it can touch him, then he feels more godly and more yeah. like somebody that you can get behind. Like, okay, this guy's going to save us. Well, he's, yeah, the innocent, too, kind of. Yeah, yeah, pure. You know, virginal white. It's the same thing with women, like... You know how they talk about in horror movies, you know, the virgin is going to be the one who survives, whereas, you know, the slut or the the loose woman will die first. And, you know, it goes the same thing for, like, the virginal cowboy. No one talks about the virginal cowboy. But <laughs> no. <laughs> You're going to know. Versus, like, you know, the black the black clothed bad guy. He's dirty. Yeah. He's, you can't see what's happening with black. It masks what yeah. would he have done before. The old Wild West world seems unfair to a person like me who would who when we're i guess at birth picking up our hats i would like i'll take a blue hat please i'm not really i don't feel i don't want to save anyone i don't want to kill anyone i just kind of want to like do puzzles and stuff so yeah what are the, what's the hat of the toiler can i have that one yeah he just keeps his head down and is, doesn't get involved but that would have also you know those those movies in that time would have taken that would have been referencing a time when we didn't have many clothes nowadays we have so many more clothes per person you know you have a full wardrobe but Back in the day, people only had, you know, two pairs of pants and one hat. So that really was who you were. It's how you identified. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, It it feels like that's sort of changed over time. That The the cowboy or the rancher slash farmer, that now the uniform of him in movies is he wears a baseball cap and then he wears a button-down plaid shirt that's not buttoned Mm -hmm. and then it's a a solid-colored T-shirt underneath. That is the quintessential 
American Dream outfit. It feels like in movies. <laughs> That's like the Midwest like ranch ride. And like colors and yeah, worn in. You know, it's really interesting. I think in Django Unchained, when Jamie Foxx's character gets to pick his own clothes for the first time, and he picks like actually really flamboyant, interesting colors that are in rich, you know, velvets and stuff. And it yeah. doesn't fit in with necessarily what they're supposed to be doing, but this is like his dream of what he can finally choose to look like. Yeah. That's fascinating, because of course, Quentin Tarantino, who's a big fan of Westerns, would know all of those tropes. And he would say, well, yeah. if you just put somebody in that world, what would they choose? And obviously, yeah, yeah. you'd be like, well, yeah. look at this. This was, Clearly, there's money behind this outfit, and I've never and had apparently it the co- Yeah, apparently the costume designer went through something like having 12 different jackets made before Quentin Tarantino decided that that was, that was the one. You know, she really, it was the hardest part of that film for her. Just picking out a jacket. <laughs> yeah. Taking out a jacket. Amazing. Well, making them, yeah. So there you go. A jacket makes the man. There you go. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you very much for appearing on this podcast with us, Jenna. I really appreciate it. Thanks. It was really fun. Uh, and thank you, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, let's all uh, go out and, and uh, get a... Uh, Taco, Taco get, Bell. Get, go to Taco Bell, and then we'll all get, like, commemorative scars to remember this forever. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor and a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com cracked. Join Dollar Shave Club now and change the way you shave. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.